Our scripture reading is going to be from uh, James chapter 1. If you remember from the last time I was here, I'm doing in my retirement a series on James, but that was two years ago, so maybe you don't remember that. But uh, we'll read James chapter 1, all the way through verse 18. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man who will fade away will fade also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to death, to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creature. This is the word of the Lord, and we thank him, and we ask that he may bless it to us. Let us uh, sing a hymn of preparation in the Trinity Hymnal number 102, All Glory Be to Thee, Most High. You be seated. Amen. Before we go to sermon, let us ask our God for his blessing. Let us pray. Almighty triune God, we need to see you as you are. And the only way that happens is if your Holy Spirit works in our hearts to show us Christ as he is, the one and only way, the truth, and the life. 
Help us to know him this morning. Enable us to see what the Spirit has inspired in the word that you have given us. Illumine our minds and our hearts. Bless him who brings your word and give him clarity. This is our prayer, and we make it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our scripture text is verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Dear people of God, called to be saints, as was very adequately hinted at in the prayer, we live in a world of difficulty, and we who are believers face trials of all kinds, just like all the people around us do. But we as believers face particular trials because we are born again and we are called to a citizenship, to a higher standard that we may present Christ to the nations. We are seeking to follow Christ in this world that is in so much opposition to him. Now James in the, in the previous section talked about various ways we can respond to trials when they come our way. Sometimes we can become very resentful when things don't go well. We can just get downright irritated when we have a bad day. We can get angry. And sometimes giving into temptations that come along with that anger and resentment. And there are times we can get frustrated with God. We wonder, why is God allowing all this in my life? Why is God leading these things to me or allowing me to have all these things? Whatever happened to Psalm 23 and the quiet pastures? Now, James has, in, these, in the earlier verses that we read, reminded us, don't blame God. Because the problem isn't God. He points out, it's actually our own sinful nature. It's our own sinful desires that are, are within us and that always are luring us away. These are the things that tend to get us into trouble. And so James 
wants to readjust our desires. And he spends some time focusing in on God's character. He's showing us that he is truly more desirable than what our sinful natures chase after. And what he wants us to see is that when our desires tempt us, when we are inclined to follow after the things of this world, after the things of our um, sinful natures, our greatest need is the God that James is telling us about. James calls us to desire God more than sin, which leads to death. And he does that by showing us who God is. And this morning, we're going to look at verse 17, the unchanging God who gives. And this evening, we are going to um, look at verse 18, the gracious God who saves. These two verses hang together, and so... I felt I had to do them together like this. So what is your response when bad things happen to you? How do you handle difficulty? Because it says a lot about the state of your heart. So often we can respond, as I said, with anger, questions, doubts, distrust, as if God isn't doing his part. I'm doing my part, walking in the ways of the word, and somehow God's not doing his part. Sometimes we might even think God is being a little bit stingy with his favors. When we face temptations to do things that we should not. That's the lie that Satan told Eve way back in the garden. God is stingy. God is keeping from you. He's withholding from you. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. He used different words than those, but that's the, the thrust of it, really. And ever since, a wrong view of God has been one of the roots of all the sin that we commit. We desire other things because we think God isn't giving us a fair shake. We somehow trust the lie of the devil. And so James reminds us in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And our outline basically is our unchanging giving God is the source of all good. He is the Father of light, and he is forever faithful. Our desires... Tell us what we look to for meaning, for significance, and for our identity. 
So as we struggle with trials and temptations that accompany them, James wants us to refocus our attention on what we think about most. And he does this by pointing us back to God as someone we can trust, we can rely on. God, he says, he said that earlier, is not trying to tempt you, lead you astray. He's not trying to get you to fall in any way. He's not out to give you a hard time. Rather, God is the source of every good and perfect gift. Think of what's happened to you in this past week. Things that you've enjoyed, all that you've received, God is the source of every good thing. And this helps us to be thankful and it develops in us a humble attitude. Pride, thinking we deserve these things, or thinking that these are our rights, a pride is an expression of ingratitude. Proud people really have no reason to thank anybody because they think they deserve it all and even more. Humble people always have a reason to be grateful. And Christians of all people have the reason to be most grateful. And James here is focusing on who God is and what he does. He gives. God is a God who gives. He creates and he gives. He gives the rain in season. As we mentioned in the prayer, he gives us our daily food. He sets us in homes. And when we sinned against him, he sent his son so that through his Son we might have forgiveness and be restored to everlasting fellowship destined for eternal glory in the new heavens and the new earth. And not only that, he grants us his Holy Spirit who enters in and enables us to toddle along in the footsteps of Christ until Christ ushers us in to the new heavens and the new earth. The Spirit has given us the word to teach us about Christ and God and the way of life. In Romans 6, for example, Paul wants to assure us that we can be victorious in this Christian life, in, the, in, in, in this life, and so he reminds us that God is good. And God is gracious. And God will finally save us completely. So how does he put that? 
He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, if we believe he was our representative, our mediator, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And earlier he says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You think God is stingy? He gave his only son that you might have life. Every good thing comes through him. Look to him who is the greatest good that has been ever given to people. That's what James wants us to think about when we think about God's character. So during trials, don't think God isn't living up to his promises or in dismay turn our attention to other things that we think can make us more happy, give us more contentment than what God can. Don't turn to idols. Don't let your sinful natures lead your desires because that only leads to death. Don't believe what the devil promises. James is saying, keep focused on God and on who he is. He is the father of lights, he says. He is the one on whom all your desires are to be focused. And James uses two words, and the English doesn't really get at it very well, but he uses two words, basically, to teach us that both the act of giving... And the gift that is given is from above. The act of giving and the gift that is given is good. The first word there really implies the motive of God. He gives out of his goodness. It's a good gift. It's out of his goodness. And all that he gives is good. He is good in his giving, and what he gives is good. Psalm 145 tells us that the Lord is good to all, and he opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. In other words, James is telling us there is no evil intent in God. There is no evil thing that emanates out of God. From him only comes love. From him only comes goodness. From him only comes grace and mercy. Everything is perfect. Even his justice and his mercy. Notice how James calls God the father of lights. In Genesis, Moses tells us that God made the lesser lights and the greater light. He made the stars, you know, billions, uncountable galaxies. 
Those he made. That is the power of God. Psalm 136, 7. God made the great lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Millions of stars. God himself is light and dwells in unapproachable light. In him there is no darkness at all. That is, there is no evil. There is no corruption. Jesus comes into the world and therefore he can call himself the light of the world. And light and life are inseparably connected. The world cannot live without light and warmth just as we cannot live without God. And James is seizing on that imagery of the Father of lights, the one who made them all, as if to say, that is the God that you serve, the creator of all, who made them all, the Father of lights. And do you understand what he's doing? He is telling you that that is the best kind of father, He is powerful enough to array the whole creation. And he is willing enough to do this and to put you in this creation and to provide for you all good things. And he is the God, the Father of lights, who in your darkness brought about by your sin sent his Son into the world to be the light of the world to bring you out of your darkness and into the light. You know, sometimes fathers are able but not willing to help their children. And sometimes fathers are willing to help but not able. Putting our trust in creatures or the creations of our hearts, well, we think they... They may, well, they may promise heaven, but they never deliver. In the end, they let us down. They're impotent. And James said, that's not what God is like. He is powerful. He's willing to help. He is light. He is the creator of light. And he is the giver of all that is good and right and true. And this is how James expects us to reason. He is made all. And he can and does keep us all. We have to trust him. In Jesus, he is our Father. In Jesus, if you're a believer, He is also your father. In other words, he's not just distant out there somewhere beyond the galaxies where he doesn't really care. But in fact, he is with us. And he uses all of his power on behalf of his people for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. He is working everything in this universe for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose.
He sent his son to be the light to call us out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might know and enjoy his goodness forever. James reminds us that our earthly fathers uh, give us good things to our children. How much more? I shouldn't say Jesus reminds us that. As our earthly fathers, we give good things to our children. How much more will your um, Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you see, in your trials, in the difficulties you face, ask, knock, seek. Look to him. Because he is light. He is life abundant. And then he adds, with God there is no variation or shadow of change. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. There's a theological term for that. You're interested? It's called immutability. It's an inability to change. God is the father of lights and these lights always seem to be changing. Sun's always moving, as is the moon, as is the earth. Nothing seems to stay the same. What do you think of when you think of something that never changes? Well, I, if you've ever been to Mount Rushmore, and if you've seen it more than once, I don't think that mountain changes very much, does it? Some people wanted to change it and take a few faces off of there, but they haven't done it yet. It's pretty permanent. And some people think that's the way God is when it says he's unchanging. Unmoved by human needs and events. That's not what James is saying. That's not what it means when it talks about the immutability of God. When he says, our Father who made everything, the Father of lights, never changes, what he means is that he's not changing in his character, in who he is in essence. He's always faithful to who he is, to his eternal purposes, to his eternal plans. Why do you need to know that when you're in a trial? Why does he even bring that up now when he's talking about how to go through trials? Because we have a God when we sin or when we go through hard times. We have a God who is reliable. God is not one day gracious and the next day ungracious. A lot of things are changing in our nation, in our world, (laughs) and in the churches in our nation, in our world. Even among us, as God's people. 
Do you think God's attitude toward us as his people has changed at all? When King David sinned, when Peter denied Jesus three times, do you think that his grace toward them changed? One minute in, next minute out? Sorry. No. God's not moody. He's always loving and he's always gracious. You must understand that. God never has to backtrack on his plans because he never changes. He's had a plan from before the foundation of the world and he's working it out in time and he's not caught off guard when something evil happens and he simply uses it then for his own good and purposes. When we have difficulties, when we have trials, God isn't taken off of his plan. Nothing. He's not surprised by it. He's not caught off guard. God doesn't change like shifting shadows, saying, oops, I've got to try a different plan now. For us to desire God more than the creation, more than sin, more than what our flesh really desires, we have to know we can trust him. As James says, do you want to know how much you can trust him? Nothing catches him off guard. He never has a temper tantrum. He never changes. He is merciful for to you today because of what Jesus has done. And he will be the same tomorrow. He is loving to you today and showing you mercy and grace and he will do so tomorrow. That's why the author of Hebrews when he wants to tell you how amazing Jesus is, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua, capstones it by saying, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus' half-brother probably had something like that in mind here. Our God, we serve, is never caught off guard. You can trust him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what is James doing in this verse 17? Well, he's trying to get us, of course, to take God seriously. Because we all have sinful desires. And we all have troubles. And in the midst of our troubles, and in the midst of our sinful desires, we're looking at the things of the creation, and they're very attractive, or they're very threatening, and we run to things that can we think can comfort us. The devil comes and says, here, have this. Want this. Desire that. More than, more than God. I mean, what, what's God going to... What God gives you is all in the future, right? And so when we give in, we're not taking God seriously. 
God seems remote then, doesn't he? He seems distant. Seems weightless. Nothing to him. And James is saying, no. Remember, he is the creator of all. The powerful source of all that is good and true, of light and of life. And in Jesus Christ, he is your father, who has been working out a plan of redemption from the beginning of time, and he's going to accomplish it in time, and he never changes. And you'll find nothing in creation and nothing in your sinful desires that matches him like that. This evening, we're going to gather at the Lord's table. And we will remember at the Lord's table the God who is the Father of lights, in whom there is no darkness at all. We're going to remember the Son, the, the Father who sent his Son, the light of the world, to remove the guilt of our sin and to bring us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That God never changes. His love toward us as believers continues. His Son reigns in glory. And with the Father, we are given the Spirit as a guarantee through whom we are led in the way of righteousness. And he's given us that supper that we will have this evening. And he told us to do it remembering what he has done until he comes again and ushers us into the new heavens and the new earth. He's always faithful in what he does. He will do it. And so in the midst of your trials, remember this. He is your father, eternally so. Never changes, but he's a never-ending source of all that is good and pure. Put your trust in him and his ways. For although the world and the devil and your own flesh will argue against that, the world, the devil, and your flesh are fickle and changing, but God is eternally the same. In him alone can we trust. In our Federation, we have a confession. And I'm going to read the first question and answer of it because it's one that we can all make. What is our only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that no hair can fall from my head without the will of my heavenly, my heavenly Father. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. That's good. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your powerful grace to us in the face of our sin and rebellion. Thank you for your eternal faithfulness. That we can never exhaust your patience, your care, your love. Thank you for being our Father in Christ. You are great and greatly to be praised. Keep us focused on you as we go forth into a world of trials. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.